0: Um, Okay, so uh, that's Guy Prentice.
1: Waters. What the heck is that? Keep going with this bit that you're going to edit out. Yeah, I'm just going to play with my camera.
2: <laughs> you know that's not going to be edited out. I, it's <laughs> It's going to be out. edited in. <laughs> <laughs> Keep so, going, it's quarter to 10. So. What are you trying to say, Nick? don't understand <laughs> <laughs> There's just no traction with this, this heartless chapter. <laughs> At this point, Nick is still
1: skipping. He you know,
2: oh. <laughs> said nothing. Lulu, <laughs> skip to the loo. <laughs> okay. Um,
1: you know, I've finished toilet time now. and that is the same time. <laughs> <comment. laughs> uh Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what are you saying there,
2: Mike?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. So, what are and your thoughts? I just say, what are I, your? <laughs> <I>
2: think...
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, we gotta, we gotta get something.
0: guys Uh, all right pull it together come it's called a 10 pressure's on (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) yeah so nick what are your thoughts on on the sf in Paul all right let's let's do this let's quickly run through it even if it's a little quick one but I think there are some things that got my attention Um, you know as he says at first glance if you read through Paul probably and you know I I sense this a little bit with Hebrews you know you're like oh wow he only said covenant so many times and maybe maybe covenant is isn't such a big theme and that would be dangerously mistaken in fact I love what um years uh, of the client well let's do some client up front I love what a uh, client says about uh, Pauline two Adam theologies like it would be difficult in the extreme to understand Paul and you know his argument and we'll give him the details later in non-covenantal terms you know in light of the two Adam construct yeah. and I think that's a great way to put it because like you know at the end of the day it's not how many times you can count the word covenant it's about understanding the argument uh, understanding redemptive history in light of uh, what he's putting forward there in terms of the the two atom construct and that's the big key but anyway so i think what, what what's helpful about this essay is he really he, he brings that up he says listen we've got uh you know only a few instances of the actual word diatheke in um in paul um and so you know you might have people suggesting that it's not really a big deal for him but well you, you couldn't You couldn't be more mistaken and a lot of the the ground that he covers we've covered already just looking forward from various um various essays you know that we've looked up uh, up until this point just you have to go to paul each time so they 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 sort of make reference to the big texts the big ones are as we've said a few times now first corinthians 15 romans 5 uh, but he does bring out some other nuances that I really appreciated. Things that I kind of had a penny drop. Uh, I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but there were a few moments where I was like, "Oh, nice!" I had not thought about that. So, um, uh, you know, really, we're looking at um, something that could be probed further and further and further. Um, but here's the big deal: the eternal destiny of every human being is suspended on the action of one or the other of the two atoms as representatives for mm-hmm. humanity right that's that's i think that's a helpful way to just pose the whole thing for me and that's basically the way paul approaches it so that's big he, that's the whole thing right there um what were your initial thoughts on the essay
2: yeah i mean i think just to say what the the book's been emphasizing all the way through is that um although the word covenant is not there it is definitely a uh, architectonic principle in all of oh Paul's did you thinking. catch that word yep oh, architectonic
0: yeah. mm-hmm. Architectonic. That's the, one. that's the
2: one and um you know he rightly starts with one corinthians 15 and uh he looks at adam representing the human race christ representing his people mm-hmm. and uh the first man and the second man who is also the last adam i mean it's, it's ground we've gone over many times before yeah and uh it just it deep i mean I, I i can't understand anyone who reads paul and doesn't think that he's a covenant theologian it just staggers my mind i mean election is in christ justification, sin is in adam justification you know? is in christ now everything revolves around these two federal heads mm. so uh, even though the word may not be there it is yeah it's it's just the bedrock of all of his thinking mm, mm, exactly. union with christ you know mm. through that federal principle exactly it's it's, it's there
0: so yeah. and um i did appreciate just knowing also you know the the new perspective deal that he's interacted with there, there were a few little moments here where he's layering on the justification thing, yeah. which I thought was good. Um, in fact, I got a little uh, highlight here. Christ's obedience has resulted in justification and life for his people. Christ's work does not merely undo the damage wrought by Adam's one sin. It, acom- it accomplishes what Adam had failed to do, namely to usher the people of God into eschatological life. So as you say, it's a uh, ground we've definitely covered. But um, just helpful to remember that, you know, when it comes to Paul, it is crunch time on all that stuff. So it's not like you're just f- tracing through some Old Testament themes and doing what you want with them. You know, you, you are getting to this very pinnacle, this, this sharp didactic edge that's coming through in Paul. And obviously you've got this uh, Romans 5 to contend with as well. He goes on to say, as Adam's one sin resulted in condemnation for all men. So Christ's righteous obedience resulted in justification and life for all men. That is, all men who are united with Christ. Romans five eighteen, and uh, and you know as he was as he was uh, moving through, there were a, f- a few you know just with those things in place, there were a few particular issues that I thought would be worth picking up on in light of our usual sort of ongoing discussion and interactions mm-hmm. with with let's say you know some of Reformed Baptist theology and um, and even just. I suppose, covenant, just trying to pin down what we mean by things in general. Um, so he mentioned there is, uh, since the fall, one gracious covenant across history. So immediately you have, you know, again, the question, what's going to happen with the Mosaic covenant? How is he going to factor that in? But amen, we've got this, this gracious, you know, covenantal rubric to, to work mm-hmm. with from the point of the fall. Um, there's a lot what in that was,
2: statement. Yeah, I mean, what, what was good about that statement is... You no, know, there are lots. There's there's one covenant of grace, and it's got various administrations. And he mm. targeted Abraham, Moses, David, but didn't include Noah. So yeah. already he's distinguishing Noah. You know that covenant yep. grace covenant is separate. <clears throat> already he's a,
0: um yeah. already he's saying after the fall. Yeah. You know there's there's that which is not to be overlooked, um, yeah, exactly. because you know you can't take that for granted these days that people are going to just uh, assume that point, but yeah, you've got you've got um a lot there that's already just putting us on the same page, I suppose, and just saying, you know, amen. Um yeah. I do find that he...
1: helpful because I think in some ways if I were going to write an essay on on Paul and Covenant theology, I might be tempted to go to Galatians first. Yeah. But actually I think going to going to Romans first or, or Corinthians and the two Adams thing. Yeah. And putting the later Galatians stuff in the perspective of that is really helpful because you get to see, because um, the problem with going to Galatians first and setting it within that framework is <clears throat> that you, it kind of stops with Abraham, doesn't go any further back. So like you say, yep. you, 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 you're, you're left without the, well, what happens in the garden, pre-fall, post-fall, uh, Noah, all that stuff. <clears throat> and so I did find that helpful that was good because I, I was thinking oh that's not how I would have done it but then actually as I was reading through I was thinking yeah that's a that's a great way to do it
0: yeah going from the big framework issues to yeah narrow. yeah exactly and then um the uh the other thing that I picked up immediately was well you know again it's not that so much that people will deny this point but they, they'll they start with Abraham let's say you know and, and there's the beginning of the covenant of grace they'll speak about it having been inaugurated at that point you know it just sometimes leaves a question mark is or you know do they think that it actually there was no grace before then or what's going on you know how do they factor that in but I like the way he worded it I agree with the way he worded it I think this is right that um at a technical level it was inaugurated um at the first promise Genesis three fifteen. that was inauguration of the covenant of grace yeah and uh the substance of it in every sense and um and then you know sure you can talk about the ratification of that in uh, with abraham and you know the the fullness of it in the new covenant but you got to start with genesis 15 um Mm. and so that's helpful and then also you know some of the some of his processing around um just just things that he said you know they, they weren't Again, they weren't like mind blowing in terms of oh well we never really considered that, but just just some ways that he worded things that I, I kept on thinking to myself I want remember this essay for someone who wants to you know approach something from a New Testament perspective you know just basically they're familiar perhaps with the New Testament they're not massive into Old Testament theology per se but they they just they know the they know you know the the, the New Testament books well I'm thinking of maybe like a a guy who's come from a let's say quite a, a biblicist viewpoint, you know, or just, you know, he's just memorized all the verses and so forth. This would be a great article because it just puts it together really well from that, from that Paul backwards sort of uh, place, so to speak. And, and, and he says things like this. So what are we talking about when you have these two seeds that, you know, are promised at Genesis 3.15 onwards, setting this whole uh, thing in motion? He says, since Satan is physically incapable of spawning human offspring, the relation in view is spiritual not biological just like a little statement like that we're like oh obviously but that's a really helpful way to say it in other words god will set apart for himself a line of human beings who are spiritually opposed to satan and spiritually aligned with himself Uh, this promise finds its focus in a single descendant he uh, the single descendant the descendant of eve will deliver satan a mortal blow bruise his head uh, even as he shall suffer from satan in the process you shall bruise his heel so things like that just uh just a good Uh, story moving up from that point
2: um i liked how he pulled in the uh the benediction of romans 16 mm. i mean it's, it's mm. not a place i would normally go to as a proof text yeah believing in uh, genesis 3 but as, it indicates uh, that that, that yeah. thing
0: that's on paul's mind right exactly that's what's you know yeah. even to the point that there it is in this benediction yeah exactly everyone knows it that's what, that's exactly what i was talking about you know they, they all know and love that text so to see it in the framework of, of this greater covenantal thing is i think helpful helpful yeah. for them because, I think uh...
1: you you were saying earlier Nick that you find it really baffling how anyone could read <clears throat> Paul without this kind of covenantal thing looming large. but what's really interesting is that when you get down to the level of commentaries, I think that's exactly what happens the The whole idea of yeah you know, I, I was very really surprised when i was mm. when I was preaching through and doing an essay on romans how um how mm. few of the commentaries make that an important theme, the whole mm. idea of. It's not. It's not a major thing in commentaries on Romans. Yeah, and so you might find a commentary here and there that emphasizes it a bit more than the others. But I, I certainly haven't come across any commentaries apart. The the one commentary I couldn't get hold of in time was Vesco's. So I'm not talking about that oh, one. Oh, Yeah. But <laughs> but yeah. uh, yeah. has yeah. got a covered. Yeah. yeah. But 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 it's the exception that I think is proving the point because they.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I, I've, I did find it very difficult to to make sense of romans without covenant theology there to frame it and yet that's precisely what a lot of interpreters of a book like romans will do They'll they'll try exactly that
0: mm. yeah did who when you were preaching through romans who was the most uh who helped you the most nick with uh with so, covenant from a covenantal <clears throat> sort of standpoint
2: I mean, Lloyd Jones was very good. So yeah. he basically just mediated Burghoff, <clears throat> okay. Warfield, and James Buchanan. Hmm. Um, so yeah, he's just he just mediates the Puritans as well.
0: Yeah, I think all your sort of reformed-ish kind of confessional guys are going to bring it up. Um, yeah. Maybe it's just as you veer out from that point. Yep,
2: even John Stott, you know, he was yeah. he was very faithful. Yeah, i'm mean, at romans 9 he he nailed it romans 5 he nailed it okay. he did uh, put forward a view on theistic evolution and i just wondered how he would square it against the bible but despite what he tried to weave in he didn't compromise on the, on the positive teachings of the text
0: mm, okay <clears throat> cool yeah
2: um Mew, surely
1: what about me well isn't oh, Moo was Mew? great
2: but moves yeah. um i think new covenant theology so yeah yeah
1: but but he's, he's picking up on some of the nuances. Yeah, and um, he was yeah, he like was deli-
2: he, yeah he was deliberately reformed. Okay. Um. Yeah, he was deliberately reformed because I mean the whole the whole the NICNT commentary series was all about finding someone who would who would walk in the footsteps of Mary. It was always it was traditionally you, traditionally you needed a reformed guy to do Romans because you know Romans and the Reformation go hand in hand. So you know there was John Murray that preceded Moo and then Moo was he did the same volume, but the updated version. In the well, same every series. time I
0: have looked at that commentary by Moo, I've just been like, it's just been awesome. I've loved. Terrible
2: every... on Roman Seven. Terrible, really. Terrible. See,
0: I'm, I, I need to check this. I, I, think no, so. I actually I, think I, thought... I actually think he was brilliant on Roman Seven. Did that's a conversation I'm for a another I'm a puritan when it
2: comes to Roman Seven. Yeah, really. Totally. Total. <laughs> The different so historical view is the worst possible way to read it. No. Dude. How dare you say that? You got to go pastoral at that point, man. You got to go pure.
0: Oh, Nick. 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 Well, it's, we can just
1: agree to disagree on that one. It's, it's not talking about it. Oh,
0: anything.
1: Nick. <laughs> it's
0: painful. Painful sometimes, you know? Feels like it's such a journey, journey into your soul. <laughs> 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 you know, you get to you think you get to know a guy and then he just springs out on you. Oh,
1: no, but obviously, obviously, you know, it is pastoral, but you know, you have to go via
2: Corinth or via Rome in this particular. If it <laughs> preaches well, it's right, just go
0: with that. Yeah. Well, hey, I am um... that's exactly <laughs> what said, you know, um no i mean well anyway okay but we'll come back to that another time but yeah i have to i love that commentary um you know i haven't, oh, I, haven't it was actually outstanding. It. I mean it, yeah.
2: it's, you default to it every time oh totally because you yeah. start off with like com- this many commentaries yeah. and then as you go through you, you start sort of slimming it down out where your, it is three or four guys yeah
0: exactly exactly yeah no me was. when you're really
2: that. struggling you go back to haldane or back to hodge or back to whoever you know
1: actually i thought haldane's was right <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but lloyd jones and haldane were saying same thing all the way through so yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, just uh, thinking a little bit further uh, along what he says, here, the, the kinds of comments that also I found to be just kind of insightful and helpful, Yet uh, He said, for example, thinking uh, almost further to the point that of the benediction, or in fact, he brings up the benediction straight after this point, but he says, uh, uh, this command talking about, um, what are we talking about? Uh, oh, let me just, just start a little bit above. Uh, with this background in mind, we may better understand, he's talking about this covenantal background, uh, what Paul is saying to the Roman Christians in Romans sixteen twenty in the preceding verse, Paul charges the church to be wise uh, as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So, you know, and, and he does say this uh, command certainly echoes the exhortation to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, but it may well have suggested to Paul's mind, the failure of Adam and Eve to obey God by not eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, you know, that kind of thing I found, wow, that, that, You know, it feels like that should have been a lot more obvious to me as I was reading it. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's just those ideas are probably taken from you know, this greater, I mean, it's almost like any anytime you think of knowledge, for example, you've really got to go back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil at some, you just, yeah. every time you think of wisdom, every time you think of dominion, every time you think of authority, you just got to go back to those uh, original concepts. And I think it's it's probably a good idea to do that with those, especially those well-known passages, you know, those super familiar ones that, that get abused in very moralistic, weird kind of ways, you know, like, oh, well, this means, you know, don't do some random thing I can't even think of a good example now like don't watch a such such a movie or I don't know whatever it is but um you know it's just it just deepens that out and shows this there's some substance to what what is in view there there is yeah. you know you want to be in line with the seed of the woman you know you want to you want to be one of those who are set against what what the what the enemy is doing um really you' you're, you're it's, we're talking about regeneration and sanctification at some level in that we're Where there's this enmity that's that's being created in us toward the serpent and toward that which is evil, which uh, you know immediately into strong redemptive themes and uh, not so much just moralism, you know. Yeah. 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 Um. Good. So he says when we call Paul's claim in Romans five, um, sorry, recall Paul's claim in Romans five that since the fall has Saved sinners only through the last Adam, we may fairly conclude that God inaugurated this one gracious covenant in Genesis three fifteen. Then he moves on to look at the rest of the story. Uh, Abraham, of course, uh, is is there, and he features, and um, and you know he does mention. And now he does go to Galatians. Uh, this is really rooty, the heart of the the, the gospel stuff. Now here's where here's where um, he got my attention a little bit. Uh, he said, Paul tells us then that the covenant ordinance of circumcision signified and confirmed to Abraham an evangelical reality, namely justification by faith alone, just as the Abrahamic covenant was and remains an evangelical covenant. Administering the gospel promises to the undeserving through faith, so its appointed sign, circumcision, is no less evangelical in character. And then just jump a little paragraph and he says, the Abrahamic administration serves to reveal more of the person and work of christ and and this is the real phrase here in this way continue to administer christ to human beings through faith so i thought that was really helpful because that he is going to he's talking about what administration actually means there you know which is often a neglected point in in terms of um I, we we use the language the administration of the covenant of grace you know but what do we actually mean and i think if you dig down into it you realize i mean i've found this you you know in a from a Reformed baptist perspective often there's this uh you know semantic issue going on to some degree with uh 1699 federalists who are denying the administration of the covenant of grace in the old testament but they're you know in some sense totally not denying it because you know they're saying it's being i mean they would not disagree as far as i'm aware um that you know the the abrahamic administration serves to reveal more of the person and work of christ uh, and in this way continues to administer retroact- actively in their view the the covenant promises you know that are f- finding their uh fulfillment in in um in the yeah. new covenant so i think i think you've you know that's just it was kind of interesting i was like okay i could see um I could see a lot of people agreeing with that. I suppose I felt like maybe it could be pushed a little bit further in that. I, I wonder if he means it's only that, like, is that, is that what covenant administration means? Uh, or is there a deeper sacramental thing going on? Um, I think of, of Lee um, uh, uh essay on uh, Leviticus and the way he talks about the, the types and shadows in there, you know, the husk and the kernel. And the, if anyone's ever read it, it's it's really, really helpful. I'm pretty sure it would still be on his website. Um, but I, I really appreciate it for what he does in terms of just really going at this idea of what administration means. Like, you know, it's almost like it, it, it when we talk about administering the sacrament, you know, in, in the Lord's Supper, there's something there that's beyond just a, um, this is showing us the promise. It's, it's something actually going on there. So anyways, that, that was a, a question mark I had around you. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts there.
2: No, it's, I mean, it's, it's vague enough to not be offensive. So mm. yeah, he mm. sort of steered clear of all the pitfalls and he, he stated it in an evangelical way that I don't think anyone could really take umbrage with it. So. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So big tick for that. See um,
1: what I did like, it's a small note, but yeah. I did like the way that he explained um the promise to Abraham and his offspring, referring to both one and many at the same time. So, you know, the the kind of the fact that it's a what do you, was it a
2: sperma? Um,
1: yeah, the, yeah, the word sperma. Yeah. But the, the, it's, uh, the just, it's just the way singular, that you said that. That's the singular long. in form, plural plural in meaning, and uh, sperma,
0: <laughs> sperma.
1: Emphasis on the sperm.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you could go sperma. Sperm. Uh, yeah, sperma. Um, yeah. um, sperma. <laughs> um, but
1: that but that whole explanation of because you know you often hear that, oh, but it, you know, it's actually a, a plural thing, and Paul's using it as a singular thing. This is a classic case of the New Testament misusing the Old Testament. And I know that we know the answer to that, but I just like the way they explained that. I thought it was very clear, very mm-hmm. easy to follow. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how th- actually both the the singular aspect and the collective aspect of being brought brought out by Paul in a very sort of careful, nuanced way. And it made me realize Paul really did know what he was talking about. He wasn't mm-hmm. he wasn't just taking a shot in the dark. Yeah. And even if he didn't understand as much as as much as um, was revealed through him, that's okay. But but he um he, he definitely was not misusing the old testament. And I thought that was very, very clear.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And then, you know, and then just going straight into the Mosaic Covenant, I know we've kind of uh, chatted about how you felt a little bit uh, unsatisfied with that. But, you know, I suppose on a very similar theme, and maybe this is what's what this is all coming to, a kind of recommendation, uh, you know, you don't want to cause a major amount of offense. You just want to really genuinely get someone into covenant theology and you want to do it from uh, well-known texts, you know, you just in, in the New Testament, uh, he does a great job in just saying things in such a way that, you know, really just kind of, I don't know, I suppose, get at everyone's uh big pet peeve and um and yet stays clear of the rocks um so he, when he talks about the mosaic law i mean he's saying right well definitely you know you've got you've got an ongoing um revelation of who christ is you know and and as much as we might want to you know nuance that and say well do you mean like the covenant itself or is it more properly associated to the law you know where is the the grace happening is it is it more properly associated to this abrahamic covenant thing you know what's happening how is it emerging well he doesn't touch those questions he's just basically saying you know well, well you might force him to say something i don't think he's intending to say but but he's basically saying that there is this ongoing administration of 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 uh of the covenant of grace in the mosaic covenant uh, but he doesn't back away from the issue of of what was happening with the law as it packed its punch to do something that no other covenant does, right? To, to really just show, it, oh, I love the, the, the Ritabas quote as well, that he, he has, um, you know, taken this imprisoned idea and just just um, just run with it. He said, um, this is Ridibas, scripture has left open no avenue of escape within the pale of the law, but has brought together as in a prison house, all human life, and all efforts to fight itself free <clears throat> that's the law you know so he's not backing away from that point and really that's kind of in some ways all we want to really make sure that people get and and uh, make sure to protect um yeah. because that means as he says you know you're gonna not look to the law and obedience to the law you're gonna look outside of that to the, the messiah looking forward and the messiah now having come so there's that so i you know i felt satisfied with that i don't know if you've got any kickback on that andrew
1: Well, no, I I mean, so first let me just say, I I agree that there was a, a, that, you know, for 98% of what he said, it's not a problem. Mm. It's actually wonderful. And he affirmed all the right things. He he affirmed the subservience of the law to the Abrahamic covenant and to the gospel. He affirmed the temporary nature of the Mosaic covenant. Um, He affirmed all, he, he basically made, I think more of when he spoke about the purpose of the law, you barely touched on the third use of the law. Um, really, it was all about how yeah. the law convicts of sin and points to Christ and reveals Christ and yeah. shows our need yeah. of a savior, and that was the imprisonment. And so, it actually, I, I, I one hundred, you know, I, just a uh, just a backpedal a bit, you know, in, just being in a little bit grumpy. Senses, and all
0: it's all a little bit too early. Yeah,
1: it's too early. Tell you, I'm just too grumpy. <laughs> yeah, but can I? Do, but there are little throwaway lines. It was the same for me. Um, not throwaway lines, conclusions that he drew, and he made an explicit point. So if you if you look, um, well, I don't. It's page four two nine for me. I don't know what it'll be for you. Uh, but he makes the point as such: the mosaic covenant stands alongside and in continuity with the other covenants that administered promises to the people of God. That's the first um, first thing that, that Paul understands about the Mosaic Covenant. The second thing that he understands about the Mosaic Covenant is that uh, Paul expects new covenant members to obey God's law on the same terms yeah, that yeah. old covenant members were to obey God's law.
0: Yeah, so that's where he's trying to bring so, in some of that. Uh, so so yeah.
1: that's the point at which I'm thinking well, I'm very thankful for the positive content that he put in on the law, which is right and true, and I affirm it wholeheartedly. Um, but the things that he didn't say are now starting to creep back in when he draws the conclusion, hmm. which is hmm. that suddenly to be a Christian in the new covenant is basically the same as being an Israelite yeah. in the old covenant. Well, let's Without just track put that in context because... Way, um...
2: Yeah, I mean he's dealing with Ephesians six verse two and three, you know the promise you know, if you obey if you obey your parents, yeah. you know, you'll have long life in the land. And I highlighted the same uh, comment, Andre. So
0: hmm. yeah, Definitely
2: you mentioned something about
0: that the other week. I remember we were talking about it. Was that? It wasn't ago. in
2: reference to this article, but it's no, but
0: we were talking about a similar thing, weren't we? We yep, were saying, yep, you know, we what, what is he doing there? Yeah, yeah, and
2: and and so that, that statement about Paul expects new covenant members to obey God's law on the same terms that yeah. old yeah. Co- covenant members were to obey God's law in reference mm. to that command, uh, the fifth commandment being quoted by Paul mm. yeah. and living long in the land. It's that's a very ambiguous statement, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I think, I think the it's ambiguous, but it leans towards a certain understanding of, oh, here's a here's a law with a promise. If you obey, you receive the promise. It works the same way in the New Covenant, and I wonder that though, isn't what he's been saying. Like he hasn't been saying that in the article. So where did that conclusion come from? Well, well? so
0: I suppose I, you know, actually, to be honest, when, I think when I when I got into that point, um, so for example, when he talks about, I, I thought this was helpful when he says in Ezekiel uh, forty five seventeen, uh, in the in the Septuagint um these uh, he's talking about the sabbaths and the festivals and all of that you know and um and he says this festivals new moon sabbaths appear together in the same order um to what paul mentions when he quotes it in in galatians um and uh uh they're all a shadow of things to come but the substance belongs to christ um, in Ezekiel uh, blah, 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 45, 17, so let me just get to the point here. Uh, Paul has a mind in the entirety of the system of worship that God appointed for Israel under the Mosaic Covenant. He tells us that, that this system, inclusive of its offerings and feast days, was a shadow of the things to come. The system was eschatological. So w- what I appreciated about that was he was saying, You know and thinking about why why then the law okay well it's obviously drives home this issue of the pedagogical function of the law and driving sin and leading us to christ but then he brings in this eschatological point as well which you don't often see where he says "Okay, it's all tied together it's it's almost like he's almost um uh you know taking a jab at the at the threefold use of the law i'm not sure if that that is the case at all but but that's how i read it anyway that you know you've got this kind of this unity in the Mosaic Covenant—that is this eschatological thing—again, very clanian. Um, it's 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 doing what it's doing in a unity to point forward to to what is to come. That's another part of its uh, purpose. So that when you get to you know this issue of, and then you know he goes on about the guardian and so forth. But then when you get to the issue of this uh, promise in Ephesians and and um, and other elements of Paul's use. Um, What do you say? Yeah, in the, it is in the same form, command with the promise that the fifth commandment is set before the children of the church in Ephesus. These observations tell us at least two things about Paul's understanding of the Mosaic Covenant. <clears throat> First, uh, is that he understood the Mosaic Covenant to be an administration of promise, uh, which is, you know, again, like, you know, we have to just give a little leverage to that language. But as such, it stands alongside and in continuity with other covenants that administered promises to the people of god the second is that paul expects new covenant members to obey god's law on the same terms that old covenant members were to obey god's law so how i read that is like he's going well there's almost like no way that you can understand it so he's almost like maximizing the traditional language right while at the same time maximizing the whole you know typological republication issue mm-hmm. saying it's typological it's there to convict of sin it's there to point to grace um so that you you know what happens if you just emphasize both of these truths at their maximum level well you, you're almost like there's no way you got no wiggle room to see that that is there can't be a third use of the law thing because he's just taking that off the table as a possibility because there is no it's almost like there is no possibility for a third use of the law if it's all eschatological you know so you know th- I, those are some thoughts i had there which sure. I, I suppose uh, let le- me th- yep. let me think that you know, it's almost like it frees you to speak this way. Let's put it that way. If you, I mean, look, it would free you even more to speak this way if you were more uh, clear on what you what you were saying about the actual uh, administration of the Mosaic covenant. Yeah,
2: that's why I think it was ambiguous. Yeah, but it did I come only a few paragraphs kind of, after that point.
0: Because um, I'm thinking, like, all right, listen, it is the same form. Like, I would have to take that as, like, at some level, I would have to agree. That if we're talking here about a people of God, constituted, you know, I mean, no one's going to deny that we are, you know, uh, we are under the substance of the gospel promise. We are, you know, living in this reality of grace alone. The, the, the fulfillment has now arrived, the fulfillment to which they pointed. Um, and then he's saying, and therefore, Paul points to this promise. I mean, he must be thinking along similar lines. That you were saying earlier, there on that uh, you know, talking about this eschatological promise. Now, you know, because that's what was only foreshadowed. He's just said that. He's just said that that's what was only foreshadowed. So I don't know. It feels like actually quite, quite right down our alley. It's almost like you could. There is
2: a uh, there is a clarifying statement at the end of that paragraph. He says, under both administrations. So here's where he's drawing the parody. Yeah. Believing obedience is the way that the redeemed respond to their gracious promise-making God. So he's just saying that it's a response of gratitude yeah. as opposed to not, not merit for salvation, but response of gratitude.
0: Yeah. So no one really has a problem with that kind no. of thing. Yeah, Everyone's that's, a-
2: that's, that's very vague. So that's, yeah. I underlined it. because I thought, how much does he mean by that statement? Yeah. He's, so he's it's, and, part, it's easy to say, but where, what does he believe the hard so, part? I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't know about how you guys feel about this, but basically, you know, I mean, I got no problem with saying something like that. Obviously, you know, every every people of <laughs> God and is is going to be responding to to grace and 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 looking. To, you know, I have no problem with the third use of the law in that sense. Um, you might want to tweak it and articulate what you mean by it and all that sort of thing. But but basically, we're going to respond in evangelical obedience. Um, the only issue is just that you think that you could somehow get something that's good as a as a result of that. That isn't what Christ earned for you um and isn't eschatology i suppose is what we're saying so you know that that's why it was it, it's a comfort to me that if he says if he brings up that promise which um you know it, it, it's it's in this eschatological context if the mosaic covenant is tightly knit and it is an eschatological imprint on you know he said that very clearly it's it's something that's pointing to something that's coming yeah. and then paul refers to that you know that promise itself i mean i you know it's almost like there's no other way to read him in that there's no danger on the table the only danger would come in where where if there wasn't eschatology in the mosaic covenant you know the, the theonomist sort of take on things and uh, or even just that strong presbyterian take on things where where um you've got some you got something you can get in obedience you know there's there's something that that israel got that we can get to you know and and it's not necessarily heaven <laughs> you know yeah, it's not
2: if you leave the ambiguity around if you disobey, you're out. Yeah. Or if you do better, you're in. Yeah. Um, and you and you use the language of, you know, on the same terms without mm. clearing up some of that, to my mind it always just leaves a question mark.
0: It does, yeah, totally. I suppose I thought the worthwhile, you know, uh thing to think about there is just what's always interesting about these sorts of articles is I especially if, you know, I'm so engrossed in in you know a certain form of covenant theology and just really appreciate the way it just clarifies and gives such rigid distinction to things but it, it it is sort of helpful sometimes just to go well you know maybe we could say it in a way that is more standard so you know with give them the benefit of the doubt. yeah and just where is the actual problem here you know where is the where you know maybe maybe i'm thinking too much uh, along those lines in terms of trying to trying to um uh, you know, I don't know, just, just, I, I don't want to have to fight about every single word, you know, you almost want to, you want to just figure out exactly where this thing comes down to the, you know, where, do, where does it hit the road? And I feel like the, I feel like what he said there with the Sabbaths and everything, uh, that, that's helpful, because that's really the deal right there. Yeah, you know, if, if you're if you're going to see that as one massive unity that really can't be emulated, and es-
2: eschatologize the promise and you've nailed it
0: and you've basically nailed it yeah more yeah. and more i'm starting to see the value in all sorts of things the uh, of eschatology and and how this works um and and certainly klein was onto something major it's there. how
2: you avoid the problems of dispensationalism
0: yep yeah, yep yeah.
2: and uh bipluric conditional merit theology
0: right yeah totally um and it sort of harnesses the big themes in not just Klein, but Foss and you know, maybe even you know, boss and you know, so yeah, you've got some you've got some uh rich uh rich theology to work with there, which is good. Um all right, what else? What else in this essay before we go on for three hours in a row here? Um Paul's statement, First Corinthians, uh, that is also helpful, obviously. Um I think we've spoken about that ad nauseum, so let's just jump to the conclusion here. Although Paul uses the word covenant, diatheke, only a handful of times in his correspondence, it is nevertheless fair to characterize Paul as a covenant theologian. And again, I would just add to that what Klein said. It's difficult in the extreme to understand what Paul is saying, unless you characterize him as a covenant theologian and understand him as such. Uh, We've just touched on a few little points here, but... You know there are some real like one of the things I wanted to go into was uh, Romans five and the way that the way that the, um, I don't think he really touches it but the way that um, you know you've got from Adam to Moses uh, what's going on with sin the transgression thing I mean I just still feel like you really how on earth are you going to process a text like that um, if if you don't have something of a covenant of works I think we did deal with it when we looked at the garden. Uh, situation in the, in the Covenant of Works and how it was republished there. But, you know, it, that is really a point that that is just so mind-blowing to me. And that, and it, if I'm not mistaken, I think that is somewhere along the lines. I think Paul uh, Klein might have been mentioning that when he says it's difficult to, in the extreme to understand Paul. And I, I remember it just hit me like a ton of bricks because that's, that's true. I mean, you really just have to say Paul's mumbling on about nothing at that point, unless you have a very lucid thing to go to that there's something going on with with the second Adam that's connected to that first Adam garden deal and it's not the case with Abraham and you know again Galatians is something we could talk about further there in terms of the very very specific argument that he's making which I felt like on a whole probably is the part that that lacked most in the in this uh, essay that Galatians piece so it's value for me is just you know you're going to be able to give this to someone that's you know, just kind of wanting to get a little bit of their foot in the door. The problem is it's like an expensive book and how are you even gonna do that? That's what frustrates me on, on this stuff. Even if you find a good essay, you're not gonna ask them to buy a $60 book you know, um, just to read one essay. So that is a bit of a handicap. Suppose you could be a little bit dodgy and sort of copy it from Lagos and just email it to them. I'm not saying you should do that at all.
2: Yeah, I think you could uh, point them to Guy Prentice Waters in general. I think most of his work is incredibly faithful to the, the Reformation project. He's a yeah. he's a New Testament expert. He's dealing with Pauline theology, the theology of the Gospels. He's answering the new perspective on Paul. He's done some great work against federal vision, and he's upholding
0: yeah the, the, ba- the basic Reformation distinctions. Yeah yeah so
2: so he's reading the bible with those lenses and yeah he's, he's a faithful guide
0: is he um is he has he written anything like a like anything super accessible do you know uh be worth having a look at that I Maybe yeah just i Google. haven't seen his other works i know he's yeah. done
2: some work he's done work on romans and one corinthians and commentary um, type stuff
0: you know, another thing that's making this a little bit more relevant now is that uh, that Sacred Bond is out of, it, you can only get it on Kindle, you know, so oh, it's, really? it's kind of out of print a little bit. Yeah, um, don't know what's happening there exactly, but it wasn't a major publisher as far as I'm aware, so I don't know if they're going to do that again, but that's a real pity because that's a real helpful, that was like the only thing really to to get people in the full system. You know yeah. just with no particular axe to grind but anyway um so i'm always on the hunt for like accessible essays and this was yeah, easy to read
2: done a, yeah i don't know if he's done a simple yeah overview book
0: cool well there we go um that's some thoughts on this essay anything you want to close off with or are we done 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 son,
1: done, son.
0: all right good stay off the streets nick
1: Oh, if you do get caught on camera, wear your 2 H slow hoodie.
0: No, no, no.
2: <laughs> Send me the merch, bro. I'm there.
0: No, in fact, <laughs> in fact, I repeal the whole thing. That could that could go bad. It could go bad. I mean, no it, merch. It, it,
2: you're in two minds. I mean, you don't mind being part of a protest, just being a citizen of New Zealand. You know, like you want to support your teachers who 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 are having to resign their jobs because of vaccine mandates, but then you don't want to do it because you're a pastor and be associated with that stuff so i didn't go you didn't i didn't
0: everyone else did though
2: Uh, i don't know about everyone but there were certainly some
0: in your family
2: Uh, there was one in my family
0: (laughs) very small (laughs) small family at home right now
2: and she works in education she works in a a christian school so you know there's people losing their jobs around her and she's sympathetic
0: we saw her on the news we saw her. was she on the news well, nothing he's the news, though, like photographed on, okay. On-
2: uh, we we didn't follow it up. We we're like, no wow,
0: idea. here's Lynn. Huh.
2: Did you have a mask on?
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, so it was hilarious because uh, the uh, one of the guys from Blora vale said, Where's that reporter? Got the and said, You know, I'm so disappointed. I left a cult called Blora vale, and uh, now I'm living in a communist country. <laughs> i left i left communism behind and here it is all over again it's classic
0: yeah. wow all right cool that's good well at least lee irons is on your side
2: see you on the streets mike
0: yeah i, might, I mean i mean that's a big win right there you know, know. yeah just saying might see you on the streets maybe. <laughs> yeah you know, it's like it comes in and does a mic drop that settles it That's all good the street yeah <laughs> um all right god. good night